A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. On Commons People this week, Theresa May plots an epic comeback. And sadly, the public no longer trust her to run the Brexit negotiations. Isn't it time to step aside and let someone new lead our party, our country, and the negotiations? But Labour is ready to blow the final whistle in Brexit talks. We had 113 days since the Prime Minister's deal was rejected by Parliament. A month of Tory talks with Labour and we are still no further forward. And both parties take a kicking at the polls. Actually, this is not an issue about me and it's not an issue about her. If it were an issue about me and how I vote, we would already have left. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh. Joining me this week is Paul War. Hi, Arj. Hey, Paul. Rachel Wearmouth's also with us. Hello. Hey, Rachel. And the director of the hot new Tory think tank Onward, Will Tanner. Hi, Arj. Hi, Will. How are you? Very well, thanks. Good. Uh, so, Theresa May has done what she does best this week and kicked the can down the road, this time on the issue of her leadership. Amazingly, she even managed to compare herself to Liverpool FC's amazing comeback in the Champions League. Uh, let's hear, well, let's see Theresa May uh, channeling her inner Jurgen Klopp. I actually think that uh, when we look at the Liverpool win over Barcelona last night, what it shows is that when everyone says it's all over, that your European opposition have got you beat, the clock's ticking down, it's time to concede defeat, actually we can still secure success if everyone comes together. Paul, now Klopp actually thinks Brexit makes no sense, but aside from that, it's quite a long way back for Theresa May, isn't it? More than 3-0. It is. I mean, the problem is that normally in a football match, as we saw in the uh, Spurs game against Ajax, actually, that actually if you're time-wasting, you're normally time-wasting because you, you think you're actually winning, but she's time-wasting and she's losing. So she's the whole point of this sort of repeated sort of waiting for Godot negotiation with Labour is about buying a bit more time so that she can get a series of draws. Get a series of draws. If you draw again, you can go through to the next match. And then finally, maybe the opposition might be worn down and you might win in the end. So far, that strategy, you've got to say, it's worked in the sense that she's still there and things are still... I mean, it's not in her favour, no way. All the odds are against her. She's still 3-0 down. But actually, you can see why she's battling to, to cling on. And so there is some kind of logic to what she's doing. And Will, how urgently do you think the Tory party needs a new leader? Well, I think uh, there, is a, there is a big question about timing of the leadership race. I think what the Prime Minister at the moment is trying to do is to ensure that when that process happens, she's accepted that it will happen at some point, that, that, it, that it's done on uh, the basis of a, a kind of robust discussion about social and ec economic reform rather than the big uh, issue of the day Brexit. Because if the Conservative Party goes into a leadership race solely focused on Brexit, the risks of further division, uh, the party actually sliding into opposition and Jeremy Corbyn getting into Downing Street, escalate rapidly. So what she's trying to do, I think, is both ensure her own uh, success and her own legacy in terms of delivering the first stage of the Brexit talks and delivering on the deal she made with the party when she essentially said, 
you pass my deal and I will go, um, which the party at the moment is not fulfilling. But, uh, but also ensuring that the leadership race is, is fought on uh, kind of the real concerns of everyday people. It's interesting that. Why do you say that, that doing the leadership election before Brexit is resolved will actually help Corbyn? Is it because the Tories will end up electing a Brexiteer leader who will then go for a no-deal that the country doesn't want? Or what are you getting out there? I, mean, I actually mean that I think uh, there are some quite divided opinions within the Conservative Party uh, on this question of Brexit. Uh, what Theresa has tried to do is create as broad a compromise position as possible. It hasn't been quite broad enough yet. Um, but if, if you went into a leadership race with some people saying no deal and some people saying something much softer than that, something perhaps akin to where we are now, um, then you would just see the kind of bifurcation of the party into two groups that would lead to some people potentially peeling off on either side and the party losing its majority. Uh, and bluntly, divided parties don't win elections. If the party went into an election right now, uh, I have no doubt it would, it would suffer uh, quite a significant, uh, well, loss of seats at least, if not defeat. Rachel, a real mess, but Theresa May is not really uh, taking responsibility for it, is she? No, well, uh, it was interesting at Prime Minister's questions when she was asked um, who was to blame for the local election, she kind of said, it's not me, <laughs> um, it's, it's not my fault. I think one of the things that she does have in her favour at the minute is just how many Tory MPs want to be leader. So um, a lot of the rest of the party is very divided. They probably can't think about who to get behind, so therefore she probably stays in place longer than she might have because... Um, they're probably going to hang on to Nurse for fear of something of them, worse. They are playing it long, aren't they? A lot of people who are not Boris and not Dominic Raab. I mean, basically, they, they want to create time. We've talked to Nicky Morgan about this. They want a longer contest sometime in the autumn, maybe even later than that, to allow someone to build up a head of steam, a new candidate to sort of get the support that they'd need to defeat a frontrunner like Boris uh, and or Dominic Raab. And that's the game that's really going on in Parliament right now, which is keeping those two off the top of top two of the ballot and preventing the public, or rather the wide membership, from having a chance of choosing a hard Brexiteer. And the, the, the thing not to forget in all of this is that when we keep talking about Theresa May and buying herself time, um, we talked to, I was talking to number 10 this morning about this. They were saying, well, you know, we, we're buying time for a reason which is to deliver Brexit. Never forget, basically, that's the only legacy she's, she's got, as Will was saying, that that's how she's going to be remembered now. She won't be remembered for all the burning injustices stuff. The only thing she'll be remembered for is if she delivers Brexit. And that's why she'll do anything she can. She'll talk to the... She'll sup a long spoon with the devil, or even a short one with Jeremy Corbyn. You know, she'll do anything to try and get it delivered. It looks increasingly as though we'll come on to that, but that, that, that route is doomed. But I'm, I'm sure that she'll try lots of other routes, and there are still a few left. And just, just one more on this. Will, who's kind of the ideal candidate without mentioning names? What type of leader do you think the party needs? Well, so onward we'll stay completely neutral in any leadership race. And, uh, do we believe always, that, Will? Really? We, absolutely. We've, we've always been very clear about that. And, and actually, the report that we published a month ago was backed by seven of the leadership candidates. Uh, although they, well, they all want they, your, your vision, don't they? They're sort of modernising, you know, exactly. future of Britain. Exactly. And I think, I mean, so I think the, the candidate 
that could unite the Conservative Party as one who is effectively an instinctive moderniser who uh, wants to respond to some of the big challenges the party faces, for example, the fact that younger voters are uh, steering away from the Conservative Party in numbers never seen before, and the gap between older and voters is, is growing to unprecedented levels. So those are some of the kind of long-term challenges the Conservative Party needs to face, and it needs uh, modernisation, energy, um, and some big, bold ideas uh, about the future of the country, rather than perhaps someone who wants to uh, kind of go back to the 70s or 80s for their, for their big, bold ideas for how to change the country. So, um, so someone who looks to the future is my shorthand, but that's about it. How much of the focus is on someone who can actively beat Jeremy Corbyn? Well, so personally, I think one of the great tragedies of the last two years is that we focused solely on one issue, Brexit, and not made significant arguments about social policy, economic reform. That's where the party is united and where it's strongest. Um, so uh, the, the party that that beats Jeremy Corbyn, or the leader that beats Jeremy Corbyn, is one who can get away from this huge dividing line within his, their own party uh, and focus on the things that really matter to people and actually make centre-right arguments about how to make the economy fire on all cylinders, how to improve education for people. I mean, those are the things that people want to hear about. So, um, so yes, it is about beating Jeremy Corbyn, but it's also about responding to people's real concerns, I think. Now, speaking of Jeremy Corbyn, he's getting a bit of sick of the lack of progress in the cross-party Brexit talks with the government. And we got the first sort of hint this week that he might be ready to pull the plug. Um, let's just have a look at a Facebook post from Theresa May in which she sets out that makes clear that any deal could be undone by uh, her successor as Tory leader. Now, Paul, this issue of a Boris lock is a key sticking point in the talks, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Labour calls it entrenchment. This is a phrase they've come up with. They want to entrench any deal that they come up with with the Conservatives um, so that it lasts beyond Theresa May and it can't be torn up. But they've had no reassurance whatsoever in those talks that any entrenchment really is significant. Obviously, what they want to do is embed it in the political declaration. The future talks about um, the way Europe goes forward. They want to make sure that it's, it's entrenched in that bit. So far, they haven't had any real indication that's going to happen. And I think that's why there's a real nervousness on, on Labour's part. Um, I mean, Will was saying, you know, rightly, that the Conservatives are going to have to come up with their, whoever is the next leader. They're going to be taking on Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and they, the landscape of the next election might be very different from 2017. And Corbyn knows that too. So don't forget, that's one of the main reasons he's going along with these talks, because he, he, the longer he, he can postpone that point at which there's a new Tory leader, the better he, he's equipped to actually deal with whoever is Tory leader. Because he knows at the end of this year, he's going to have PMQs against somebody else. Will it be Corbyn v Boris? Will it be Corbyn v Matt Hancock? Corbyn v Hunt? And each one means that Labour's going to have to calibrate what it does properly. That's why I think that's why the talks are existing, because it buys Labour some more time in how to work out their opponents. The question about Boris Locke is interesting, because the reality is the best Boris Locke is a cross-party deal which commands the greatest support in Parliament that could only be undone with someone who took a no-deal position yeah. to the country. So it's, it's quite... I think it's pretty superficial, this Labour insistence on entrenchment or a Boris Luck. The reality is if they did a deal that could command widespread support across both benches, albeit with some wings not supporting, then it would be very, very difficult for any new leader to unpick that. Um, and any inclusion in a political declaration is actually probably more unpickable than, than that majority support in Parliament. Yeah. So I, I, th I think it's a bit of a red herring. And the real Boris Locke would be a general election, wouldn't it? I mean, in some way or other, actually then whoever is the new Tory leader being tested by a Labour Party with a clear alternative. So, you're right, I mean, some of it is superficial. Uh, and Rachel, are the numbers there for a deal on the Labour side that doesn't include a second referendum? It, well, 
the, 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 the word is there's about two-thirds of Labour MPs that won't vote for any deal without a confirmatory referendum in it, and you've got some Conservative MPs that might um, demand that as well. But, I mean, if there's any possibility that they could secure a general election out of um, the, the deal going wrong, I suspect they would probably push for that rather than any deal. And Labour wants to keep talking about Brexit because it keeps damaging. It's a running sore for the Conservatives. That's the main reason, don't forget, that, um, uh, that the Conservatives are in trouble because the public are saying, well, you've got this mess, you've owned it, you haven't delivered on it, it's your fault. And Labour loves that, obviously. Um, and I think what will be interesting in the Tory leadership is if some of the no-deal candidates or people who want to unpick whatever is agreed, this is where the Boris lot comes in, even if you get an agreement at the first stage, if you're a Boris or you're Dominic Raab, you'll say, actually, I'm going to really push Brussels even harder in the next stage of the talks. A lot of Conservatives say, actually, that's the, exact, the wrong thing to be doing to win the next general election. Draw a line under Europe and, and just move on to the other things, social reform, housing, childcare, things that people really care about. Um, and say so you've parked Brexit and you've sort of dealt with that, but don't make it front and centre. The real difficulty, I think, for Boris and for Dominic Raab will be they'll be seen as the person who keeps the, the sore you know, running. Yeah, and the Brexit saw has certainly taken its toll on the two big parties last week in the European elections. Um, it was too much for one Tory member who heckled Theresa May at the Welsh Conservatives conference. Let's have a watch. Prin Honda. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did these local election results tell us about the Conservative Party at the moment? Well, I think so. I think it's a reflection of one fact and one fact only, and that's where we are in the Brexit talks the fact that we haven't left Europe yet, uh, and the fact that uh, the Conservative Party doesn't seem to have an active plan to uh, deliver on the referendum result. Uh, I'm completely clear that um, both in the local elections and in uh, the European elections in a few weeks, the Conservative Party would get rid of a lot of, of, a lot of the pain if it had been seen to be the party to have delivered Brexit. Um, and a lot of the, uh, the apathy or the uh, diversion to other parties is entirely as a result of, of the fact that that leadership hasn't been there. Um, so uh, so I, I think, it, I mean, clearly the result was, uh, was uh, disastrous for the party in many ways. The Labour result was also disastrous, and uh, we shouldn't underestimate just how well, we'll come on to just that, how bad that was for them. Um, but I think it is it is a reflection of where we are with Brexit, and that has become the kind of lightning rod for all of our politics at the moment. It's interesting. I was speaking to Lord Hayward, the Tory kind of elections expert, last week, and he was saying that the Tories were hemorrhaging votes on the Remain side as well in places like Chelmsford, Woking places like that, so they've got a dual problem, as to Labour. Um, Rachel, you've been looking at the Green and Lib Dem surge in this. Yeah, yeah, the, the Lib Dems did, did in, incredibly well, but um, you've got to look at sort of the, where the, when the last elections were, the height of David Cameron's um, powers, they will win a lot of the South West, which is where the Lib Dems have taken a lot of their seats back. Um, one thing that doesn't get talked about, which I think is really interesting, is there were, there were 300 new independent councillors, which is a none of the above kind of vote, and um, the Greens won sort of almost 200 new councillors as well, and a lot of those new Green councillors are um, 
have been voted for by former Labour voters who feel that they can't get on get on board with any kind of pro-Brexit message, and they kind of feel that the Lib Dems are too attached to the austerity years of the coalition as well. So that's kind of like a, a fresh start vote for a lot of the Green voters I spoke to. Yeah, Paul. I mean, for Labour. You know, everyone was expecting a terrible night for the Tories, but no one was quite expecting Labour to have it so bad. Yeah, they had a terrible expectation management game, didn't they, where John McDonnell said famously he thought they'd get 400 gains and they ended up with like 80, 80-odd losses. Um, I think that the real losers, though, are the Change UK and, and the independent group. Because they didn't have any candidates, fine, but... Um, it showed actually that the Lib Dems have this strengthening depth across the country and they, you know, grassroots really matter. You know, you, parties rely on grassroots, whether you're the Tory party, Labour party or the Lib Dems. If you don't have those grassroots and you're coming out of the ether straight away, it's very difficult. I mean, even Farage's Brexit party, boy, has he got grassroots. You know, he's got all these former UKIP, you know, the infrastructure, people who've flipped from UKIP who like him. Overnight, virtually within a few months, he's got 80,000 members. Um, well, it remains to be seen whether the initial wave of optimism about Change UK translates into, you know, grassroots activism. But boy, were they, did they get a wake-up call as much as all the other main parties from those local elections. The Lib Dems are back in business. And whether or not they have an alliance with them is going to be one of the big questions now. And, well, do you think we're overestimating the strength of the Brexit party for the upcoming European elections, or do we think they are actually going to take a lot of Tory votes? I actually think the Brexit Party will take more Labour votes than Tory votes, um, and the Labour Party should be just as worried about the rise of Nigel Farage as, as any Conservative. Um, what Paul says about Change UK, I think, is, is very interesting. I've always thought that Change UK's positioning on the electoral map is actually pretty diametrically opposed to where the middle ground of British politics is. If you look at, if you, if you do a scatter diagram of everyone in the country, you'd find that the majority of people are slightly to the left on economic issues and slightly to the right on cultural national ones. And that is the opposite of where Change UK is on both axes. So actually, the Brexit Party, I think, is very well positioned to take quite a large number of seats. And um, I mean, what, was, what we're currently seeing for the two main parties is a bit of a slow motion car crash as, as the two massive majority positions taken in 2017 are dissipating as, uh, by, as a result of not delivering Brexit, uh, alternative uh, political forces come to, the, come to the fray. So, I mean, I think the European elections could be just the start unless we actually do deliver the stage of Brexit quite soon. Right, well, we shall see in a couple of weeks. Um, we've just about got time for a quiz. Uh, this was meant to be last week's quiz because it's on by-elections when Fiona Onasanya lost her seat uh, in the recall petition, but we're going to do it this week because the Peterborough by-election is still looming. Exactly. And the yeah. writ was moved this week, I think. So we? there's no real rules. Just kind of say the answer if you think you know it. Good. Uh, um, so question number one. Who lost the Oldham by-election of 1899? Ah, oh, was it Winston Churchill? I know he became an Oldham MP, so that's the only reason I'm throwing that out there. Rachel, what do you reckon? Oldham? Path. I do not have any idea. It is Winston Churchill. Yeah, very it's the good first time he ran for Parliament. The Tories lost to the Liberals, uh, but just a year later he won the seat. Yeah. Um, in 2008, who won a by-election for the Tories for the first time in 26 years? So it was the Tories' first by-election win in 26 years. But who was the MP? Oh my won? God! 2008. And where? Give us a clue. Which part of the country? Come on. Uh, sort of... South, North? Midlands, Midlands EU, North, Westy. Mm. 2008. By-election. 2008. Crikey. 
Do you want another clue? Yeah, go on. He went on to become a minister. Um, it wasn't the guy who's now our sort of... U Nigel, what's he called? Nigel Huddleston. Huddleston. Why am I thinking of him? Somewhere? He is a... What is he was he Edisbury? You don't know. It's Edward Timpson. Timpson! Uh, yes, of course he was. Yes, of course he was. Uh, of course. Of course, Edward Timpson. Cameron <laughs> called it a remarkable victory. Yeah. He had a very uh, good report out this week, actually. Uh, yeah. Oh, Edward Timpson, yeah. Um, so, last question. Which MP in 2016 ousted Zach Goldsmith from his Richmond constituency? Oh, gosh, I can see her first. Uh, I should know this, because she was my MP, briefly. <laughs> what <laughs> gold. Well, she clearly made a deep impact on me. Sarah. Um, uh, yes, yeah, Sarah. Sarah um, something. Uh, give me some I can, B? Uh, Uli. No, something similar. Something E. I'll give you that, Will. What is it? Oh, yeah, Olney. 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 Yeah. Yes. She's so quite it's, a short-lived MP, to be fair. Yeah, very. Yeah. One all She's going to be the candidate again. Is she? is she? I'm pretty sure she is. Yeah, Zach Goldsmith won the seat back. A year later, yes, uh, in the general election of 2017, a rare against all odds, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, right, that's all we've got time for. Uh, let's leave you with Brexit hardman Steve Baker and Matt Hancock discussing weight loss tips. High Wycombe has established a, a, a dramatic way to help tackle obesity, and to that end, a week on Saturday, the mayor, a number of councillors, and myself will be weighed in public, Mr. Oh. Speaker, to check whether we've put weight on at taxpayer expense. Can I just say to the government that if the government does wish to extend this programme to other members of the House, I'll be happy to ask to borrow uh, the weighing tripod. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 